There we go. Thank you to the secretary. Here is the backstory. Backstory means where were we in John last week? Because we got a few people that weren't, more than a few that weren't here last week. So obviously this is the gospel of John. In chapter nine, there's a blind man who's blind from birth and Jesus seeks him out. The man doesn't ask to be healed. Jesus seeks him out. He's a blind beggar. And Jesus had just said uh, that he, in chapter 8, was the light of the world. Now he's going to demonstrate it by healing this man that was born blind. And he did so in a really weird way. Do you remember? Uh, he spit on the ground, made mud, put the mud in the guy's eyes, and told him to go wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent because the water was sent to that pool from somewhere else. But Jesus sent the man to the pool. Also, Jesus, this gets repeated in the Gospel of John a lot, Jesus was sent from the Father to earth. So there's a lot of meaning in that word. Siloam means sent. So the guy obeys and goes there to the pool, washes, and he can see. And it's a glorious physical miracle, but Jesus is nowhere near being done with the guy. He intends to heal him spiritually and a little bit gradually, we're going to see in this chapter. But the weird thing is, instead of rejoicing at this miracle, the religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Jewish religious leaders, who are for the most part hypocrites um, and kind of know-it-alls who don't know very much, they... Um, say nothing about the healing except to try to question it, to try to discredit Jesus and maybe get him arrested. Because the healing was done on the Sabbath, uh, which is their day of rest, and God instituted the Sabbath as a way to so that people don't work at their job seven days a week. It's a day when we are to rest and spend time with family and spend time with our Lord. So they make a big deal out of the fact that he um, made the mud and that it, act is called kneading like you would k-n-e-a-d-i-n-g like you would with dough and so they are thinking of that as work so the chapter starts out we're not going to read the whole chapter again but um Look at verse uh, one of chapter nine. Those of you that are here and those of you on Zoom, so I know that you're awake, say amen. amen. Good one. John nine begins, as he was, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? He goes into a whole discussion that it wasn't his parents or him that sinned. The rabbis of that day actually believed that a baby could sin in the womb somehow and deserve blindness kind of thing. It's very silly. And God, Christ makes that whole idea uh, obviously wrong by saying neither this man or his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God, the work of God might be displayed in his life. He's going to do a healing. Why do you mention this? Because it's part of the backstory, but it's also, notice the, the tenure, tenor of their question is judgment, right? This man's born blind. Wow. Who sinned? Whose judgment is he bearing, his own in the womb or his parents? Judgment's going to come up at the end of the chapter. That's why I'm mentioning that again. But let's pick it up in uh, 
let's see. We're going to also see that the light of the world is going to illuminate this guy's life, not only in his eyes, but in his soul. And he's going to save him. And at the same time, it's going to be a judgment on the religious leaders who are, for the most part, hypocrites. Um, let's see. We left her off right around verse 12 or 13. Um, we'll pick it up in verse seven. Go, he told the man, wash in the pool of Siloam. This is after he put the mud in his eyes. This, the word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home, seeing his neighbors, verse eight, and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, verse nine. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. So there's a change in his appearance um, that they, some don't think it's really him. Some have made the analogy that when some of us were very much sinners in our old life and God cleans us up and saves us, if old friends see us, they kind of can't believe the change in us. Same kind of thing. Um, verse 10, how then were your eyes are open? They asked, this is the neighbors. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. Notice how does he refer to him? Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. No, the man, Jesus. I want you to see that because I want you to see the progression of how God keeps revealing light to him and he keeps receiving it and gets more light. It's a good principle in the Bible. We'll talk about that later. Um, verse... Uh, yeah, there it is. So I went and washed, and then I could see the end of verse 11 says, where is this man? They asked him. I don't know. He's just a man named Jesus. That's all he knows. Didn't ask to get healed. Pretty amazing. Verse 13. Uh, let me grab my notes. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. This is normal. If there's a healing, the Pharisees would be asked for their opinion about it to put their sanction on it that it was from God, or is it a fake healing kind of thing? Um, they want the, the, the Pharisees' opinion and their sort of their stamp of approval religiously on this healing, since Jesus has no official title in Israel um, to the powers that be. He's not a Pharisee. He wasn't trained in their schools. He's not one of the religious leaders, even though he's God in human flesh. So they bring the man verse 13, uh, that had been born blind to the Pharisees. And now John drops the bomb because we didn't know this in the story yet. I already told you, but it wasn't in the text yet. Now, the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Uh, the Jews had added to God's rule about don't work. Are you a plumber? Don't plumb on the Sabbath. Are you a, you know, carpenter? Are you a doctor? Don't do those things on the Sabbath. Take a day off kind of thing. The Jewish religious leaders had added just a ton of man-made rules that were absolutely ridiculous. The things you could and couldn't do on the Sabbath. One of them was kneading dough, and they are going to say the mud was like work. Even though he's healing a man, um, what we're really going to see is the contrast between the faith of this blind man and the goodness of Jesus and these hypocrite religious leaders. Um, so they bring him to him, and the, the day was a Sabbath, verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees 
also asked him how he had received his sight. So they want to know the how. How did it happen? He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Pretty straightforward, right? This man, scholars disagree on this, but most scholars that I read this week and last week said that the man born blind, this is not biblical, but it was the practice of that day, was considered in some way kind of an outcast, cursed by God. That's why you're blind, dude. So he couldn't come to the temple um, and probably not to the local synagogue to worship because they believed that this was some sort of a payback, if you will, his blindness, okay? Now, here he is in front of the the Pharisees. He has never seen anything before today. He has not seen Jesus yet. He heard Jesus who said, go to the pool. Jesus didn't go to the pool with him, which proves what we said last week was that Jesus wasn't promoting himself as some healer. Everybody watch this. I'm going to heal this guy. Let's go to the pool and watch what happens. Jesus disappears into the crowd. So now he's at the fair with the Pharisees and he simply says, he put mud on my eyes. I washed. Now I see. Verse 16, notice it's not all of the Pharisees. Some of the Pharisees, that's the religious Jewish leaders said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. They're talking about Jesus. I want you to notice every time they talk about him in this chapter, they call him this man. And it's almost humorous because his name is Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua which literally means God or Yahweh saves. Or you can also translate Yeshua in Hebrew as God is salvation, or um, Yahweh, the personal name of God, is salvation. They can't bring themselves to say his real name, so they call him, what's his name? This man. I just want to mention that. It's just funny to me. Um, so here's their, di- uh, their, here's their verdict. Um, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, okay? That's their proof. He doesn't keep the Sabbath, therefore he's not from God. Now, you would think they would look objectively and say, wait a minute, this guy was born blind, now he's got 20-20 vision. We have to weigh that fact as well, right? What sort of work did he do on the Sabbath? Was he trying to earn a living as a carpenter? No, he just made a little bit of mud and healed the man on the Sabbath. They don't take any of that into consideration. What we're seeing here is what happens when the unsaved, the ones living in darkness, investigate a miracle. When they investigate the gospel, when they investigate the Bible, are they fair and unbiased or do they already have their minds made up? You can already tell, can't you? Their minds are made up. This man is not from God. And the reason is he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others asked, this is others of the Pharisees, by the way, in verse 16, how can a sinner perform such signs so they were? divided. That's the story in this whole gospel. The overarching theme in the gospel of John is who is Jesus Christ? And he's showing them, right? 
He's clearly from God. We said last week, there are a bunch of Old Testament scriptures, two sets that talk about opening blind eyes. No one in the Old Testament does so. There's other miracles, Elijah, Elisha, Moses. There's miracles in the Old Testament. They're not that common, but some prophets perform miracles. We're going to talk about that a little later. However, um, there's a bunch of scriptures that talk about who can open blind eyes. Set number one says only God. Set number two says the Messiah will open blind eyes when he shows up. So they should have said, if we're going to be logical and use this as a courtroom kind of a thing, because that's what they're doing. They're investigating. The guy's eyes were opened by this Jesus individual, this man. They won't even say his name. Therefore, he's either God or the Messiah. And we would add, or both, right? They just cannot bring themselves to do that because he doesn't um, conform to what they're expecting as a Messiah. Uh, yeah, we already talked about that. Second Kings, three times, there's miracles from uh, Old Testament prophets. There is no compassion on the part of the Pharisees. They are they rejoicing at all that a man born blind can now see. They don't care. This Jesus guy, which they won't say his name, he can't be from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. Notice the controversy, the division. How can a sinner perform such signs? It's a valid point. It's not the only point. Signs aren't the only thing that we look at to determine whether somebody's of God or not, but it certainly is a proof. They should have remembered that the Messiah is predicted to open um, blind eyes. That's on the next page of my notes. I don't have the scriptures in front of me, but um, we'll get to that. So um, now they're looking for some way to discredit Jesus. They've mentioned the Sabbath, not as much as they did in chapter five, but they've mentioned it. And so now they, uh, verse 17, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. That's a long progression upward from the man Jesus, right? Now he says he's a prophet. That's pretty good. Is Jesus a prophet? Sure. Is he a lot more? Absolutely. Son of God, the word, second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man, Messiah. That's what Christ means, Christos in Greek. So, they ask the man, um, and they've sort of primed the pump by saying, this man's not from God. He doesn't keep the Sabbath. He's a sinner. So now they ask the blind man, having just said that, here's what we want to hear. He's a sinner. He's not from God. Um, what do you have to say about him? Notice that middle sentence in verse 17. It was your eyes he what? Opened. Meaning what? They're admitting the whole miracle, right? Your eyes, he opened your eyes. He gave sight to a man born blind. They're admitting it. And so they ask, what do you say about him? They've primed the pump. They're hoping he'll play ball with them and say what they want to hear. The guy's a sinner. Uh, he's not from God. The man replied, this is the blind man. He is a 
prophet. Now, a prophet was someone that spoke for God in the Old Testament, right? Anointed with the Holy Spirit. When he said, when a prophet said, Elijah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, thus saith the Lord, it was literally the word of God coming out of their mouth. Every word Jesus speaks is the word of God because he is God, right? So we're going to give the guy like a B minus, C plus. He's come a long way from the man, Jesus. I don't know much about him. He doesn't know Nazareth. He doesn't know Bethlehem, Mary, um, miracles. We don't know how much he's known about this guy. All he's, all he's known is Jesus's voice, right? And the sound of him spitting, I guess you could add, right? And Jesus's voice saying, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So blind people, we said last week, without the vision sense, have acute hearing. They have really good hearing, sense of smell, sense of taste, feeling. The other senses are elevated when one is missing. Um, it's true for me. I have no common sense, but I have other senses. Anyway, um, let's keep reading. So he says he's a prophet, and I can see the Pharisees rolling their eyes. This is the last thing they wanted to hear him say. Verse 18, they rejoiced that the man was given sight, and they believed. Is that what it says? They still did not believe that he had been blind. They just said it was your eyes he opened. Now, all of a sudden, they don't believe that he had been blind in the first place. In other words, they're kind of saying the whole thing's a setup. It's a fake miracle. This guy's been blind since birth. He was a beggar. Everybody in, in the area knew him. That's all he could do was beg. Um, the neighbors knew. Now they're going to interview. They're going to bring to the witness stand the parents. Let's see if we can get the parents to say something we want them to say. They still did not believe, verse 18, that he had been born, that he'd been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So he's a man, late teens, early 20s, could be even older. So his folks are that much older than he is. The, folk, the parents would have probably been worshiping Jews who knew the Pharisees, respected them, and we're going to find out greatly feared them and were intimidated by them. I'll show you that in a second. <clears throat> so here comes the questioning. They send for the man's parents. Parents show up. Verse 19, is this your son? They asked. Just kind of cracks me up. Reminds me of Jack Webb on um, Dragnet, you know, just the facts, ma'am. Is this your son? Yes, it's our son. Um, is this your son? They asked, is this the one you say was born blind? Notice the way the question kind of is begging for somebody's lying. How is it that now he can see? Three questions. Is this your son? Is this the one you say was born blind? Question three. How is it that he now can see? Verse 20. I'm going to start pointing out one particular word here, which happens in these verses from now on, so often it's almost comical. And the word is no, K-N-O-W. Watch how much the word no comes up. I, I think I counted 11 times. Verse 20, we know he is our son. Okay, that's kind of a duh, right? The parents answered. We know he was born blind. If anybody would know, we would know. He's been our son all along. We didn't adopt him. He's our son. He was born blind. Verse 21. 
but how he now can see uh, now he can see uh, but how he can see now sorry or who opened his eyes we don't know ask him he's of age he'll speak for himself almost every commentary i read said that's a lie they they know you know they would know the guy jesus maybe they don't know he's the messiah or his ministry they know they're intimidated you're going to see in a second so he, they're kind of going to throw their son under the bus. There's a sense that in that culture, the, the blind beggar is estranged from his parents. Why do you say that? Because if you had a son that was blind, wouldn't you take care of him? He's an adult now. I get that. There's some distance between the parents and the son. Okay, the parents are able to go worship. The son is not. They throw their son under the bus. They're intimidated by the Pharisees. We know he's our son. We know he was born blind. How he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. They pawn him off on the Pharisees. They've already interviewed him, right? You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth? Yeah, he's already been on the witness stand. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. Now, he's of age means he's, believe it or not, 13 or older. Um, Jewish males became bat mitzvah, ba mitzvah, bar mitzvah for, uh, bat mitzvah, yeah, and bar mitzvah, girls and boys, 13, age of accountability. He's a man. I'm, most scholars think this guy's been a beggar much longer than that. Maybe he's 30. Parents are 50, let's say. Go ask him. He'll speak for himself. Verse 22. Now you learn more about the parents. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now we get more information who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged, which is a form of the word no, right? By the way, go back to verse 20. We know he's our son. We know he was born blind. That's two. We don't know who opened his eyes, that's three for the word no. Four is acknowledge. They had already said that anybody who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue, excommunicated. We'll talk about that in a second. That was why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. They're afraid. They're intimidated. They just say as little as they can. They're trying to get off the witness stand. Go ask our son. The Pharisees had put out the word that if you admitted that you thought Jesus was the Messiah, you'd be put out of the synagogue. Now, to you and me, that sounds like, well, so what? Doesn't seem like that much of a punishment. This is a Jewish culture through and through, okay? And to be excommunicated meant that if you were in business in any way, no one would do business with you. Furthermore, if you weren't in business, but you needed somebody to fix your sandals or build you a garage or fix your sore tooth or do anything for you, and they were Jews at the synagogue and you were excommunicated, they couldn't help you. There were three types of excommunication. Um, and none of them are good, but some were temporary and some were um, permanent. Um, let's see. The first kind was for 30 day, a 30 day little punishment time, 
excommunicated to teach you a lesson. None of the other Jews would talk to you or do business with you. You can't buy groceries at the grocery store, the Jewish Safeway, you know, kind of thing. Um, the second uh, excommunication was, oh, by the way, um, the 30-day one, this is, cracked me up. Part of the 30-day one was no one could, no Jew could come within six feet of you, which I thought was like Jewish social distancing, right? Kind of kind of odd, but that's, that's a fact. The second one was for an indefinite period of time. They would decide, no, Dave did something even worse. A month isn't enough. Let's make it four months for him or six months or whatever. The third one was permanent forever. That's what's about to happen to this guy. If you were permanently excommunicated, not only could you not worship, not only could you not uh, sacrifice for sins, not only could you not do any business with other Jews, no one would have contact with you. You almost need to move away. Even your own family members, if they worshiped in the synagogue or the temple, they were supposed to not talk to you at all. It was in a way turning the guy over to a life uh, where he was going to go to hell for sure, being excommunicated. Big deal for a Jew. What's interesting is this guy probably didn't worship in the first place because he was blind. They thought he was cursed. All of a sudden he can see, which is an amazing thing, living color, right? Faces and water and dirt and the sky and the clouds and everything. And so he's going to be able to worship, but he's about to be excommunicated. So um, there's all kinds of uh, official positions the, the Pharisees have against him. Um, and they've put the word out, you're going to be kicked out of the synagogue. So the parents are intimidated, verse 23. That's why they say, go ask him. Verse 24, we recall Mr. Blind Dude to the witness stand. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God. Okay, NIV has by telling the truth. That's implied. They just say, give glory to God. Um, we know this man is a sinner. Okay, so they, it, there's a double meaning there. Give glory to God was a way of putting somebody under oath, much like we would say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God with your hand on a Bible, right? They don't do that much anymore uh, from what I hear. But anyway, they're putting him under oath. Give glory to God. The irony or the double meaning here is give glory to God. We're talking about a miracle where you regained your sight. If the guy says Jesus did it, that does bring glory to God, right? But they're saying bring glory to God by saying what we want you to say. We know, there's the word no again, this man is a sinner. We know that. And we know, period. What do you mean? The, these are the religious leaders who spent their lives studying the Old Testament. They knew everything. Before long in this chapter, you're going to hear them say, we don't know, okay? Which is unusual because they're supposed to know everything. We know this man, again, not Jesus, they can't bring themselves to say his name, is a sinner. Here's the blind man's testimony, verse 25. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't, there's the word again, know, right? Doesn't presume to know 
I don't know the guy's background, if he's a sinner or not. I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. This is what I love. One thing I do know, K-N-O-W. I was blind. Now I see. Okay. That, folks, is irrefutable testimony, right? The guy, the blind man, probably was not educated like other people. God has given this guy tremendous wisdom. In a very simple way, he's able to speak. He is not intimidated like his parents are, did you notice, by the Pharisees. One thing I do know, I was blind, now I see. Before we move on, as I often do, when Jesus encounters somebody, I like to ask, who is this guy? What do you mean? Who is this blind man born blind? Well, we don't know his name. That's true, because the story's all about Dave's pointing to himself. You got it. You get an A, Dave. The story's all about Jesus. We don't need, sometimes we know Bartimaeus. We know some other names, right? We don't know the woman at the well, just the lady from Samaritan. Uh, it was a Samaritan, remember her? Chapter four. Who is this guy? What are you getting at? It's you, folks. It's me. You say, oh, no, I wasn't born blind. Physically, you were able to see when you were born. Spiritually, the Bible teaches you were born blind spiritually. May I add deaf and dumb? Let's throw that in as well, okay? We could not see spiritual truth. Ephesians 2, 1, I quote it almost every week. You're getting sick of it. We were sick spiritually, dead in our trespasses and sins, dead. That's why it makes sense now, chapter three, what does Jesus say to Nicodemus? You must be born again, spiritually. I know you're alive physically, okay? Who is this guy? It's you and me. Spiritually, in terms of God, we were beggars, blind, unable to see all kinds of things. I don't just mean physically, because we could see physically, but we did not see the world the way we do now. We did not see ourselves the way we do now. We see our sin clearly because the Holy Spirit, that's one of the things he does. He convicts us. If when you were in an unsaved state, if you picked up the Bible like I did, it made no sense to you, I'm guessing. Little or no sense. It made no sense to me. And now I read the same books and I think, oh, they changed it. That wasn't what it was before. No, it's the same Bible, Joe. You're the one that's been changed. The Holy Spirit illumines the word to you, right? You also see clearly who Jesus is. You also see clearly that you can't save yourself. This is a picture of somebody coming to faith where the lights go on and we see. Old Testament, there's all kinds of allusions to blind being a, a, a metaphor for spiritual blindness and seeing being understanding God and coming to him in faith. Um, so I just love this man. One thing I do know, there's that word. I was blind. Now I see. Okay. What are they going to say? No, you weren't right. Okay. Object lesson for you and me. Some of you don't witness to other people about Christ friends, people at the store, 
um, relatives, your kids, you just feel like, well, that's for the pastors and the theologians and the guy with the ridiculous shirt with the mustache teaching Bible study. Those people can witness. I'm not a theologian. Listen, you know what you can do? You can tell your story. I used to be like this, blind. Now I see. By the way, those are right that those words come right out of, or the words come right out of amazing grace, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was what? Blind, but now I see. That's where he got that line, by the way. Jesus should get a songwriting title, uh, uh, royalty. Okay, I was blind, but now I see. Verse 26, then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Okay, they're more interested in the mechanics of the miracle, right? Almost like, what medicine did he give you? What did he do? Looking for anything. This is a common tactic, by the way, in interrogation, um, both in military settings where they get, get a prisoner who's from the other side or a criminal. A common tactic in interrogation is make the guy repeat his story uh, under duress, threaten him, make him because he's going to mess up and he's going to make a mistake. He's going to contradict himself if he's lying. Okay. Common tactic in uh, interrogation. What did he do? How did he open your eyes? Verse 27. I love this. No intimidation. He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Don't you love that? He's not stupid. He can tell you don't want the truth. You want me to say what you want, what you want to hear, right? You're not really looking for information. He, they're hoping he'll bow to their extreme power in Judaism and say, okay, okay. He broke the Sabbath. He's a sinner. I wasn't blind. Is that what you want to hear? You know, see you later. Um, I've told you already and you did not listen. This, I love this. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? That's a real dig. That is a just knife in the stomach to them, right? Why do you want to hear it again? Now, listen, if somebody was born blind, okay, and Jesus opened their eyes, and you're a believer, right? You'd want to hear it again. Tell the story again. That is so awesome. I have tears in my eyes hearing it. Say it again. Okay, I was born blind, yes, and Jesus touched my eyes with mud, and I washed, and I could see he gave me sight. Oh, praise God, right? We'd be singing songs about that. So he's being sarcastic, he's being bold, and he's being humorous. I love it. I've already told you, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you, I want you to notice the wording, do you want to become his disciples Two, what does that mean? Counting himself, right? He's gone from this man to he's a prophet when pressed. What do you think about him? Two, he uses the words disciple. Do you want to be his disciples also? Two, meaning like me? He hasn't come right out and said it, but that's what he's alluding to here. Okay, so this that's really funny. Okay. If you and I were there, we would laugh and high five the guy. The Pharisees don't even crack a smile here. There's nothing funny about this. They're deadly serious. We want to kill this guy. Verse 28. 
Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciples, disciple. We are disciples of Moses. Listen, folks, if you're given the choice to be a disciple of Moses or a disciple of Jesus, pick Jesus. One is law. Moses is law. This is what God wants. Fulfill the law, all of it. Go ahead. You can't do it, right? That's why Jesus is better. The Old Testament, law. New Testament, grace. Good things given that we don't deserve or earn. It's awesome. Um, so, they hurled insults at him. That is what's known as ad hominem attacks. You ever heard that before? It's Latin, where if Jeff and I are debating something in a formal debate, and he's beating me on every point, evidence, he's refuting everything I say that I thought was true, and he's pre presenting such evidence that's irrefutable, and I'm losing the debate, you might resort to, oh, yeah, well, I don't like your t-shirt which has nothing to do with the debate, but you just attack the person. Oh yeah, well, you probably were a hoodlum when you were in high school or something. You just cut the person down. That's what they're doing. They're hurled insults at them. It's very babyish, don't you think? You are this fellow's disciple. Please notice they think that's an insult, right? The world will do that to you and I more and more in this country. Oh, you're a Christian, some sort of a Cretan. I suppose you believe Jesus rose from the dead and God created the world. Well, yeah, I do, as a matter of fact. They think it's an insult. I want you to notice he doesn't say, no, 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 don't call me that, right? It goes unanswered. You are this fellow's disciple. They noticed the word to, T-O-O, in the previous verse as well. We are disciples of Moses. Remember in chapter five, skip back to chapter five for a second. I just want to show you this. I'm going to guess at this. I think it's verse 29 or 39. No, it's not 29. Um, boy, I sure hope it's 39. It is. Uh, John 5, 39. He's talking to the same Pharisees. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Um, in the same chapter, he talks about Moses and says, um, there it is, verse 46. If you believed Moses, you'd believe me, for he wrote about me. Old Testament. All kinds of allusions to the Messiah, to Jesus in the Old Testament. Okay, go back to John chapter uh, 9, wherever we are here. Yeah, let's keep rolling. So they're not getting anywhere with this guy, so they just resort to insults and put him down. You're this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. There's the word again. Do you see it in verse 29? We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, can't bring himself to say Jesus. We don't even know, there's the word again, where he comes from. Earlier in chapter 7, they said they knew where he was from. Do you remember? Nazareth. And they were wrong. He wasn't born in Nazareth. He was born in 
Bethlehem, which is predicted that the Messiah will be born in, you guessed it, Bethlehem, which means house of bread, oddly enough, and he's the bread of life. We know, uh, let's see, we know that God spoke to Moses. Are they right? Absolutely, he did. He spoke to Moses the first time, do you remember? Exodus 3 and the burning bush. During that conversation, if you remember, Moses says, God's saying, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. You're going to be the leader. And Moses basically says, you got the wrong guy. I, I'm not good with public speaking. Pick somebody else. And God says, don't tell me what to do. I, I put that in. Don't tell me what to do. You're my guy. Okay. I chose you. Uh, how many know the saying that God does not um, choose the ones that are equipped? He equips the ones he chooses. See the difference? So, okay, Moses says, all right, I'll do it. When they ask me, who sent you? Who, what is your name, God? Well, who do I tell them sent me? And if you remember, God from the burning bush says, I am that I am. You shall tell the Israelites, I am has sent you. Remember? Okay, keep your finger here. Now go to John 6. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Wrong. Um, John 8. That's what we want. Um, John 8, and go to verse 57. John 8, 57. He's arguing with the same Pharisees, and they say, he had just said in 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Verse 57 of John 8, you're not 50 years old, the Jews said to him, and you have seen Abraham, the you is emphatic in Greek, you have seen Abraham who lived, you know, centuries before that, more than a thousand years. Verse 58, I tell you the truth, we studied this two weeks ago. Jesus answered, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus claims to be the voice that talked to Moses. They just said, we know that God talked to Moses, and Jesus probably wants to say, yeah, that was me, right? I am. Pretty amazing. Okay, go back. So he claims to be the voice from the burning bush was the point of all that. Um, go back to John 9 with me, if you will. Still got a few minutes before we take our break. We know, verse 29, God spoke to Moses, and they're right. As for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from, Okay. That's them admitting, the know-it-alls admitting, we, we don't know where he comes from. But they have ruled out, haven't they, that he came from heaven, that he came from God. Ruled that out. We don't know where he's from, but we just know, uh, we don't know where he came from. The man answered, verse 30. Now, that is remarkable, or that is amazing. What is? That they don't know where he comes from. Watch. You don't know, there's the word again, <clears throat> where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Parenthesis. And by the way, you guys could never do that, could you? I was begging in front of this temple and you walked by me every day. You couldn't do what he did. He opened my eyes and you don't know where he's from. Now listen to his logic. It's amazing. Verse 31. We what? No, there's the word again. We know that God does not listen to sinners. 
Well, let's stop right there. Is he right? Old Testament? Absolutely. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Um, let's see. <clears throat> Isaiah 1, 15, Psalm 66, 18. There's all kinds of verses that say that God does not listen to sinners when they pray. They may think he listens. He doesn't listen. There is one asterisk I'd like to put next to that statement, if I will, if I can. Say amen so I know you're awake. Okay, and those of you on Zoom, say amen or wave or do something. There you go. Okay, there's one prayer that a sinner can pray and God hears it. And do you know what it is? I'm lost. If Jesus is real, please show me. Please forgive me, God. That kind of a prayer technically is a sinner praying, please reveal yourself to me, God. If Jesus, if you're real, I believe God hears that prayer, okay? But the reason there's an asterisk is some would say, if the guy or gal is praying, Jesus, if you're real, please show me, please come into my life, please forgive my sins. Probably. The guy's no longer an unbeliever. The Holy Spirit's been doing this for months, drawing him, and he's been resisting, and he's finally gotten to the point, the bottom of the barrel, where he got nowhere to look but up, and he goes, okay, if you're real, please reveal yourself. That's the technicality I wanted to mention. Let's take our two-minute break now and stretch our aging bodies. We'll be back in two minutes. I'm going to turn my screen off. Don't go away. We'll be right back. There we go, and we're back. Find your seats, if you will, and grab your Bibles. We're still in John chapter 9, finding out what happens when unbelievers investigate Jesus or investigate a miracle. Um, let's see. Somebody asked me if the word for no is gnosko, which I believe it is, which is no by learning versus no innately, which was last week. I won't go into all that now, but um, so... Um, so verse 30, the man says, that's remarkable. You don't know where he comes from yet. He opened my eyes. And then here's his theological statement. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. The man's point is this. Clearly, let's face facts, Pharisee friends, a miracle has occurred. These eyes have they never were able to see so it's a miracle in a sense of creation he must have created new eyes in the man's head okay that is only the providence of god old testament or um messiah did i already pass where those verses were i think i did on the previous page oh psalm 146 god gives people sight um yeah let's see god by the way is not obligated to hear the prayers of unbelievers. I suppose he could if he wanted to. The, the exception I already gave you, the prayer, the sinner's prayer, we call it. Um, in any case, um, now what the man is really saying is, that's amazing, or that's remarkable, verse 30. He's saying, you know, it's more amazing to me that you guys don't know where he's from, then that's a more of a, a, an amazing miracle than my eyes being opened. That's an incredible thing that you don't know, and you're supposed to know everything. 
God doesn't listen to sinners, verse 31. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Jesus says earlier in this gospel, twice already, I believe, I always do the Father's will, meaning no sin, right? He's not a sinner. He's always doing God's will. Uh, Hebrews says Jesus was tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The greatest temptation, I believe, for Jesus was not when the devil tempted him in the wilderness. Do you remember that? Um, it's either Luke or Matthew 4. Um, don't look it up now, but later. The devil tempts him. Do you remember that? Jesus always answers with scripture, by the way. I believe the greatest temptation was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember? If it's possible, take this cup, the cup of God's wrath, the cup of suffering, the cup of taking all the guilt, all the sin, all the shame on himself and being separated from his father, right? That's why he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, the uh, lost my, the train completely went off the track there. Um, <laughs> it happens at my age. Uh, <laughs> in any case, go back to verse 31. God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. The, oh, the greatest temptation, yes, Garden of Gethsemane. How does he end that? Not my will, but thy will be done. That's a prayer we all be, should be able to pray. Christianity is not getting what you want from God. It's God getting his will in you and me. It's us saying, when I want A and God wants B, I want B. I want your will even over my own will. His will supersedes ours. Verse 32, and this is a fact that's true, and this man, if anybody, would have known it. Verse 32, nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. That's true. It's not in the Bible anywhere to this point. Jesus healed other blind people, but they weren't born blind. Um, by the way, verse 31, I forgot to mention, there's the word no again. Notice also, verse 31 implies that since God doesn't listen to sinners and God clearly listens to Jesus or he wouldn't have this power, he's kind of saying, isn't he, Jesus is not a sinner like the rest of us. Number one, okay? Um, then it says, he, that's God, I'm still in verse 31, listens to the godly person. He's calling Jesus what? Godly. Which is a way of saying God-like, right? Godly. Um, he listens to the godly person who does his will. Also, he's now growing in his knowledge of who and what Jesus is. Keep in mind, he hasn't met Jesus yet, right? Only there when he was blind, heard him say, go wash, felt the mud in the eyes and thought, what's the, here's mud in your eye, right? We said last week, nobody's ever heard of the opening of an eyes of a man born blind. He's saying, don't discount. This is an, an incredible miracle. Verse 33, if this man he uses their term for him, were not from God, he could do nothing. Implied, just like you phony Pharisees. If this man was not from God, 
he could do nothing. Now, listen, he doesn't mean that literally. That would mean a person that's not from God couldn't build a house or a doghouse or a woman couldn't make dinner. What he means is of any eternal consequence of any miracle type thing that you would say, you could not do anything for God or for the kingdom unless it was from that was given to you from God. John 15, he's going to say, we'll probably get there in 11 years when we get to John chapter 15. Um, we go slowly here. He's going to say in John 15, listen, that he's the vine and we're the branches and we have to be connected to him. Do you remember that? And then he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, doesn't mean you can't change a tire or write a song or color in the lines with a crayon. It means of any eternal consequence, anything that's pleasing to God, apart from Jesus, you can't do anything. All other religions are trying to please God without Jesus, which means they can do nothing, right? This man is out, he's out thinking the theologians who are the experts, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. In other words, he's saying it backwards in a way. He's saying, clearly, this dude is from God because look what he did. No one's ever healed the eyes of a man born blind. Um, so he's saying it's obvious. They claim to know everything, and he is showing that he's got great, great vision, doesn't he? not just physically either. I want you to notice that the man who was a picture of you and me when we were unsaved, that the man saw physically, but his vision spiritually is getting better and better and better, isn't it? It's grown from the man, the dude, to a prophet, to godly, not a sinner, he could do nothing if he wasn't from God. It's a remarkable miracle. He's, it's going to grow even more. You say, yeah, we know that. His faith's going like this. I want you to notice the other trajectory, that the blind Pharisees who think they see, their vision is getting worse and worse and worse in the face of incredible evidence that they should have been willing to admit, okay, maybe he's from God. But see, Jesus has called them whitewashed sepulchers, phonies, right? Blind guides, blind again. Um, so they kind of can't do that, right? So he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Great logic. Let's see how they respond. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Ad hominem. Do you understand what they're saying? Now we know why you were born blind, because you were steeped in sin. The, the picture is of somebody that's up to their eyebrows in sin at birth. Like I told you, there were rabbis that thought if there's a, a physical defect a baby's born with, maybe the parents sinned, maybe the baby sinned in the womb. Can you imagine? I, I don't even know what that would be twisting the umbilical cord you know uh, give me a break um so you were steeped in sin at birth how dare you uneducated blind dude lecture us 
Okay, and there it is. And they threw him out. Do you know what that is? The permanent one of the three excommunications. It's the one you're done as a Jew. No one will do business with you. You can never worship God. You're definitely going to hell now. Okay, stop for a minute. You're the man, okay? You were already, in terms of planet Earth, pretty near the bottom. What do you mean? He's a beggar and he's blind, okay? His whole life consists of hoping somebody, a coin drops in and I got something. His whole life, okay? Suddenly, things get a lot better for this guy. Somebody puts mud in his eyes and he can see. It's, you know, hallelujah, right? And now things get way worse. And now he's done as a member of society in Israel. Done forever. They threw him out. That means excommunication forever. Okay? So now even his parents, friends, brothers, sisters, if he has any, doesn't have a wife, probably he's not mentioned. No one can talk to him. Nobody is lower than where this guy is. I want to stress this point because it's really one of the main points of this chapter. He's as low as he can go now. He's got no one. He can't go to the temple and worship. The temple was the place of worship, the place of prayer, the place of sacrifice. We'll come back to that thought in a second. So they threw him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, excommunicated him. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Okay, stop right there. Did you see what was implied in that verse? Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, you know, heard through the grapevine kind of thing. Marvin Gaye, remember that song? Anyway, he heard they threw him out. But look at the next phrase. And when he, that's Jesus, found him, which means what? Jesus went looking for the guy. He sought him out. Listen, Jesus has a major, big ministry with apostles and people probably coming in with all kinds of things. And can you heal my sister and questions? And Jesus takes the time to drop everything when he hears the man's out. He's out of, out of his family, no friends. He can't worship. He's as low as he can go right now, even though he can see physically. Jesus goes and looks for that guy. Why? Because he's ready. I'll show you. When Jesus had thrown him out and when he found him, he said, here's the question. Do you believe in the son of man, some translations have son of God. Some old manuscripts have son of God. The majority of the manuscripts have son of man. It's a distinction without a difference. Son of man comes from Daniel chapter seven, which is a title for the Messiah. Not every time it's used. Sometimes son of man is used just to mean to show that someone is a human being, part of the human race. But son of man, the Jews understood as a messianic or Messiah title. The irony is that he's God, but he's also the son of man. He's a human being, okay? He's the bridge between the horizontal and the vertical between God and mankind. Do you believe in or are you ready to put your trust in the son of man, okay? This is 
where the story gets amazing to me, I have to tell you, because I'm expecting the, the guy to say, I'm going to, I'm going to need a whole resume on whoever the son of man is. He is so sure. What did he already say about Jesus? Godly, not a sinner, a prophet, right? And from God, remember, if he wasn't from God, he could do nothing. So maybe at this point, the bells go off and he says, it's the same voice, right? Blind. I don't know. But I, I think there's a hint that he knows this is the guy that healed me. Watch. And he, Jesus, talks about himself. Did you ever notice? In the third person a lot. The son of man, and he's talking about himself. He, why doesn't he just say, I? It's always in the third person, right? Um, the thing is, for this man, maybe he doesn't know that. So Jesus says the one question. And by the way, this is the most important question there is. Do you believe in, are you willing to put your faith 100% in the son of man, the Messiah? Because he uses the third person, the guy thinks, I'll show you in the next verse, sure, point him out to me. It's enough that you're asking me, I know you're a prophet. I know you're from God. I know you're the one that touched my eyes. I know you're sinless. Who is the son of man? Watch. Who is he, sir? Verse 36, the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. He's just saying, you point him out. Which one is he? It's good enough for me that you say, this is the guy I should believe in. By the way, the word sir in NIV is correct. He says the word Kyrie, K-Y-R-I-E, I think it is, or E-I, no, I think it's I-E, which is the word, listen, Lord. Okay, now the Bible uses the word Lord in two different senses. In a general sense, two people that respect each other would say, like old English, thank you very much, my Lord. It doesn't mean he thinks he's God or Jesus. He's just being, it's like saying, sir. The same word when it's used of God is used and they do capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D uh, in English. The first time he says it, he's just saying, sir, who is he, meaning who is the Messiah, that I may believe, I'm ready to believe in him. I've got nowhere, listen, else to go. I can't worship. I got no friends now. I have no place in this society. And Jesus says, the minute he finds out that he's been kicked out of society, he's an outcast. You know what Jesus says? He's in, in my book. I want that guy. You know who else was an outcast? Do you remember chapter four? the woman at the well. She's a Samaritan outcast from Jews. She's an outcast in her whole community because she's had five husbands and she's shacking up with another guy now who's not her husband. You remember that? Um, so he says, I'm ready. Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. All you have to do is tell me, point him out. Is it Peter, John, James? Which guy is it? This is beautiful. Jesus said, verse 37, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. Wow. Notice still third person. He doesn't just get, it's me, dude. Here I am, right? Still third person. He, you have seen him. Okay, just that wouldn't be enough because he's thinking, well, I've had my sights since two this afternoon. I've seen a lot of people. Could you narrow it down a little bit? It's the one who's speaking with you beautiful. 
So he's narrowed it down to just him, right? Um, verse 38. Then the man said, well, I'm going to need a lot more evidence and proof. Is that what it says? Then the man said, Lord, in the other sense of the word, Lord, not sir anymore. Now it's Lord, Kyrios, God. I believe. What's the proof he believed? He worshiped him. Proskuneo in Greek means to bow down. Literally, full on proskuneo is face in the dirt in front of the person. If Jesus is not God, this is the moment where he should say, no, 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 don't worship me. That's blasphemy. Worship only God. The apostle John does it twice in the book uh, of Revelation. Do you remember? He worships an angel. He just gets carried away in the moment. An angel talks with him and he bows down. And what does the angel say? Don't do it. Get up, get up, get up. Don't do that. Worship God only. Jesus, listen, receives his word. There's no, you can read, there's not a verse that says, and Jesus said, no, don't do that. Worship only God. He receives the man's worship. This isn't the only person that worships Jesus, but this guy clearly does. Some people have questioned their own salvation. Am I really saved? A good book to read is First John, if that's where you're at. I'm not even sure that I'm saved. First John is like a midterm. How do you know that? Because chapter five, the last chapter, John says, these things I've written to you so that you may know, there's that word again, that you have eternal life. Ways of looking at your life and asking the questions. Here is the ultimate evidence. What is? What does he do? He worshiped him. To the person that's wondering, am I really saved? I would ask, do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Do you worship him? To worship somebody means the word is old English. It comes from the longer word worth-ship, where they have such worth that was used for kings and queens, by the way, in a bad way, horizontally, earthly-wise. God has such worth that I'm willing to bow down and make what he wants what I want. What he considers good is what I consider good. What he considers sin is what I consider sin. It's a complete abandonment of all my own uh, values and uh, what I think is bad or good. If you create your own God, which is what most people do, even atheists, I don't believe in any God. You know, there's a Greek word for that, baloney, okay? <laughs> you have a God and you're your level of what's good enough is right um, right where it should be so that you're, you're okay, right? God's level is perfection. And because we can't reach it, we need a savior, a Messiah, the son of God. I love that he bows down and worships him. What's going to come back in a second, and we're not there yet because I got to look at my notes, is the whole idea that we started with at the beginning of the chapter, which is judgment. Remember? They were saying, why is this dude blind? Him, his own sin in the womb or something as a baby, uh, he threw his milk at his mom and that was it. Or was it his parents were so evil, they punished the kid. Judgment. That's going to come back in a second, but we're not there yet. Um, um, 
look at the look at the um, progression the guy has made from sir to lord, from the man Jesus to a prophet, to a godly man, to a sinless man, to a man that definitely is from God, the man that opened my eyes to now he knows a new title, son of man, which the Jews understood was a title for the Messiah. Who is he that I may believe in him? He's totally ready. Listen, because God has taken him as low as he can go. Are you searching in your life? And is, are you having major problems? Maybe God is using those problems to bring you so low that you look like this man and you say, well, I got nowhere else to go. God, if you're real, please reveal yourself to me. My old pastor at Twin Lakes Church in Santa Cruz used to say, Pastor Roy Kraft, he's dead now. He used to say, what? He had a way of talking like this. He was, <laughs> my friend Jim Smythe is watching. He used to go to that church. He'll be laughing right now because that is how he sounded. What does God have to do to get your attention? And then he would say, some people only look up when they're in a hospital bed and there's nowhere else to look. What does God have to do to get your attention? Some people get mad at God. Why am I having all these problems? How funny that you're laughing at Pastor Kraft's voice and you don't even know what he sounds like. I could be making it up, right? But I'm not. Um, he was a great guy. And he had a twin brother, by the way. He was also a pastor. And they would totally cut each other down. It was hilarious in a fun way. Anyway, what does God have to do to get your attention? God got this man's attention. Who does God look for? The people that are humble. This man's got nowhere to go. Listen, where was he kicked out of again? The temple. What's the temple again? Place of worship. He's found a new place of worship at the feet of Jesus Christ. Listen, who is the true temple? What do you mean? The temple's a man? Yes, and fully God. What was the purpose of the temple again? It's a place where you worship at Jesus' feet. It's a place where you sacrifice. There's no more need for that. He is the ultimate sacrifice. It's a place where you go see the high priest. Hebrews says he is our high priest, right? It's a place where you pray. That's where you pray in Jesus' name. Everything that the Old Testament, that Judaism holds dear, Jesus fulfills. All of it. Barry White, of all people to bring up, from the 70s, black singer, had a song called you're my first, my last, my everything. That's Jesus. He's our everything. Everything in the Old Testament that was of value. The, the Passover lamb, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus is the Passover lamb. The high priest, Hebrews says he's our high priest. What's interesting is, what did the high priest do? He made a sacrifice. Jesus happens to also be the lamb who's the sacrifice, and he's the temple. What about the Ten Commandments? He fulfills all 10, lived the perfect life you were supposed to live, died the horrible death you deserve. Everything about Judaism, he is. Well, but they had the word, the word of God, the Old Testament. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the was, do you see what I mean? He's everything to us. Um, Michael Buble has a song called Everything, but we won't talk about that now. Um, let's keep rolling, shall we? Can't resist the song uh, things because of my background. Um, Let's see. You were steeped in sin. 
at birth. That's an amazing thing that they say to him because they don't know what else to say. So he worships Jesus Christ, and we ought to as well, because he has great worth. Now, here comes the judgment, verse 39. Are you still with me? Say amen. amen. What about you people on Zoom? Say amen or wave or do something. Okay, good. That's pretty good. I saw my own self wave there. Okay. Um, verse 39, this is an odd way to end the chapter. Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Now, other places, he says he didn't come the first time to judge. And here he says he does. Okay. Here, the judgment is sort of implied in the future. The second coming, he comes to judge for real. But just the fact that there's light shining, remember, I'm the light of the world. He's saying there's a double judgment. And one of them is surprising. Watch. For judgment, I've come into the world, verse 39, so that the blind will see. Wait, stop right there. The blind will see. So that's a good thing, right? Yes, blind see, that's a good thing. He's saying that in itself is a judgment. You mean in a bad way? No, in a good way. This man that was blind is now able to see because he was contrite, he was sorry, he was humble, he was as low as he could go, he had nowhere to worship, and he was ready, wasn't he? Because God had been drawing him, we know all that from chapter 6. But the other half of the judgment is the bad half, so that the blind will see, that's good, and those who see will become blind. Now, what does that mean? Listen. Remember, we've been saying the same hot sun, it was a hot day today here, the same hot sun that melts wax, hardens clay. Same sun, the same sun that softened this man's heart and drew him to salvation is hardening the hearts of those that are already hardened. Remember Pharaoh in the Old Testament, Pharaoh and Pharaoh hardened his heart. You're like, again, right? But then sometimes, you know what it says? And God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God says, you want a hard heart? I'll give you a really hard heart. Say, that's what he's doing with these religious leaders. They're phonies. They, in the face of clear evidence, they will not believe, not cannot. I just don't have enough evidence. There's plenty of evidence. They don't want to believe. They won't believe. For judgment, I've come into this world. The first time he comes, there's a natural result of light coming in the world. Keep your finger here. Go to John 3, and I'll show you what I mean. John chapter 3. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. That was pretty good. Um, verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the reason he comes the first time. It's not really to condemn. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only son. Here it comes, verse 19. Remember we said this was like a court trial with testimony? Verse 19. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. What was the context? I am the light of the world. John chapter 8, I think it's verse 12. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, and it's capital L, meaning a person that's literally is light. But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were 
evil. Everyone who does evil, verse 20, hates the light. That's the Pharisees. They can't stand him. They can't even say his name. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But here's the blind beggar. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light, drawn to it, so that it may be plainly seen that what he's done has been through God. That's what's going on. That's why there's an implied judgment just by his being there. Some people are drawn to him and others just hate him. They love the darkness. Go back to chapter nine with me, if you will. Still have a tiny bit of time. Um, Verse 39, we already did. Those who see will become blind. In other words, those who think they know it all, those who are the opposite of um, Matthew 5. Matthew 5 is the Sermon on the Mount, started the Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7. It starts with the Beatitudes. And one of them is, do you remember? Blessed, blessed are the people that are spiritually bankrupt. You say, does it say that? Basically, it says, blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. The ones that know, like this blind beggar, I got nothing. Spiritually, I got nowhere to worship. I got nowhere to look except to you. Why are they blessed? Because they know I got nothing. I'm blind spiritually. The ones that aren't blessed are the ones that think we know it all. How dare you lecture us, the Pharisees tell them. We know the scriptures. We believe in Moses. And they're the ones that are actually blind. They're being judged because they don't believe. And they'll be, they're becoming more blind uh, spiritually. They can still see physically. Verse 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? That's a, that's a rhetorical question that expects a no answer. Oh, no, no, no. You're Pharisees. No, you're fine. You're not blind. Are we blind to? Listen to his answer. Verse 41, Jesus said, if you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your sin remains or your guilt remains. They're not poor in spirit. They think I'm wealthy in spirit. If you're wealthy in spirit and someone's giving out spiritual stuff, you go, "I'm, I'm already a spiritual millionaire. I'm a Pharisee. You know who goes for the free stuff? The people that know I'm bankrupt spiritually. What do you got? I'm out of options. I'm like Pastor Kraft said, I'm the guy in the hospital bed with nowhere to look but up. I'm the guy in the gutter hooked on drugs or alcohol or pornography or gambling or whatever. I'm the guy that's on his ninth marriage and I got nowhere to go but to Jesus. Jesus goes, come on. Beautiful. Um, Let me look at my notes here. So he, the same light that caused the man to see blinded the experts. That was the, in the email that I sent you. Um, the point he's making in verse 41 goes to Romans 5.13, where there's no law, there's no sin to account for. In other words, if there were no, if you went to some country and there were no speed limits, you couldn't get a ticket for speeding, right? The reason you can get a ticket for speeding is they post 60 miles an hour or 70 or 65 or whatever. You go over that, you're breaking the law. The ones that don't have the law, um, it's different for them. The ones that own the law, the Pharisees, we know it inside and out. 
and they are so steeped in their traditions, they're blind to the Messiah, the God who they claim they worship comes to them and they don't even recognize the family resemblance, if you will. Um, Romans 1.22, considering themselves to be wise, they became utter fools. That's what these guys are. They are face to face, not with Moses, with God himself, and they don't even know it, right? Pretty amazing. Um, why are they remain in their guilt and their sin? Because there's only one payment available, right? There's only one true light. Jordan's nodding yes. There's only one payment for sin. If you neglect that, if you say no thank you to that, we have a disease, right? It's called SIN positive. Do you remember HIV positive? Someone's HIV positive. We're SIN positive. Every human being is born SIN positive. There's only one cure, Jesus Christ. If you refuse that and you say, I'm going to try to find my own cure, you're in big trouble. That's what they're doing. They remained in their sin. God's wrath remained on them. They preferred darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Listen to Proverbs 3, which is also in James 4 and 1 Peter 5, and then we'll close. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In our story, we've got a bunch of proud Pharisees and a very humble blind beggar who gets to see and gets much more than his physical sight. He gets eternal spiritual sight. Let's close here and we'll pray and pick it up next time. Um, I got to tell you, um, well, well, we'll cover a few more things in this chapter to wrap up. Chapter 10 completely is going to sound like it comes out of left field and it doesn't. Chapter 10 ties in perfectly with what we just heard and read, to the point that most scholars think that chapter 10 happens right afterwards, and the same people, the Pharisees, the blind guy, the disciples, are all going to hear the same stuff, because Jesus is going to say in chapter 10, another one of his I am statements, I am the good shepherd. Okay, to do that next week, don't miss it. It'll be a good one, I think, not because of me, because I got a good writer here. God writes the book, right? Um, we're going to read a little bit of Ezekiel 34, and we're going to read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's the backdrop for this shepherd thing. We're going to explain a surprising thing, too, about the sheepfold and what it is. Um, anyway, let's pray and we'll get out of here. Thanks for being here. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we could study your word together. We are so in your debt. Um, just like that blind man, we were spiritually blind, S-I-N positive. And you, you touched us, and you told us to go wash, and we washed. And now our blind eyes see. We see who Jesus is. We see who we are. We see our own sin. And we see your forgiveness in the cross. We see the world differently. We see everything, God. And yet we have a lot to learn. That's why we're here, God. So we pray you'd open our eyes even more like the progressive revelation you showed this blind man. We pray you'd show us the same thing. Strengthen us, God, because we see in this story peer pressure and the pressure to confirm, sorry, to conform. We see that the parents kind of succumb to that, that pressure, but the blind man did not. 
he was sort of in their face about it and bold and he knew what he believed and he professed it. And lastly, he worshiped. May we worship in spirit and in truth, you God and your son, Jesus Christ completely to the exclusion of all the things the world worships, which is pleasure and money and good looks and fame and power and stuff. May we worship purely your son, Jesus at his feet. We pray all these things in his name with thanksgiving. Amen. Hope to see you next week. Those of you that are here, please make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. That's really important. The rest of you on Zoom, wish I could say hello to all of you individually, but I can't. So God bless you. Have a great night. Thanks for being here.